You are listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast featuring some of Indiana's most fascinating men and women whose impact has shaped our state, our communities, and us. Join us as we discuss their imprint on our history. Leaders and Legends is brought to you by Veteran Strategies Incorporated, your local veteran business enterprise specializing in public relations, media relations, public outreach, crisis communications, and digital photography. My name is Robert Bain, Principal of Veteran Strategies, former Deputy Chief of Staff to Mayor Greg Ballard, and Communications Director for the Indiana Republican Party. I'm honored to be your host for our discussion. Thank you for joining us today on Leaders and Legends podcast. Presented by Veteran Strategies, a local veteran business enterprise, and sponsored by Girl Scouts of Central Indiana, Crown Plaza at Union Station, and McAllister Machinery, your friendly neighborhood Caterpillar dealer. We are here with Lieutenant Governor Suzanne Crouch. Very kind of you to allow us to come into your office today. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. We are also joined by our co-host, Danielle Shockey, CEO of Girl Scouts of Central Indiana. Danielle, take it away. All right. Well, thanks for having us. We really appreciate this time with you today. And for our listeners um, who may not fully understand your path, where you came from, you grew up in Evansville, went to Purdue, tell us and tell our listeners, I should say, kind of how you went from birth to the state house. (laughs) (laughs) Well, life's a journey. Um, and when I graduated from Purdue University, uh, I, I wanted to be involved in the private sector. But to back up even further, it's interesting that, to me, and amazing that I am the 52nd Lieutenant Governor of Indiana because I did not grow up in a political home. Um, my parents always voted, but they didn't discuss politics growing up. Uh, and so I ended up being, though, raised with values and principles that I think ultimately led me to public service. You know, my parents uh, raised me to take on big challenges, and my father, in fact, had such a tremendous influence on my ability to be able to take on big challenges. Uh, And so much of who I am today was shaped in those formative years. I remember a particular time, and I think you've heard this story before, when I was probably about 10 or 11 and I'd experienced a growth spurt. I was just three inches shorter than I am today. So I was about five foot eight in, you know, the fourth and fifth grade, taller than all the kids in the school and most of the teachers. And as kids do at that age, they'd make fun of me and call me the Jolly Green Giant. And while that was funny to them, for a young girl struggling to fit in, it was a very painful time in my life. And I remember talking to my father. And he said, you know, when kids are making fun of you, it's because they themselves are insecure. He suggested I turn the teasing into a joke I was in on. And so the next time they called me the Jolly Green Giant, I responded with a hearty ho, 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 and the teasing stopped. But that lesson remained a lifetime because my father taught me that when I could accept myself in spite of all my imperfections, then I could accept and respect the differences in other people. And I soon came to understand that it's those differences that make each of us so unique and adds to the beauty of the world. And I I share that story from childhood to demonstrate how important families can be as we work to shape new leaders and young leaders, but communities and organizations like the Girl Scouts play an important role also. You know, my family gave me the confidence to set big goals, but My community and and being a Girl Scout when I was growing up, that gave me the experience and the education, you know, to be able to determine who I was and what I wanted in life. And now my country gives me the freedom to choose my own path and to take that experience and that education and that confidence and apply it to my own unique future. Uh, And so I was raised that way, but when I graduated from Purdue University, I got involved in the private sector. I was a realtor, a small business owner, um, worked for a public television station, um, was a stockbroker. And while each of those professions were very meaningful and really provided me with a lot of experience, it wasn't something I was passionate about. I didn't feel like I was making a difference in people's lives. And that was so important to me, to be able to really impact people's lives. Because if we can't lift people up, if we can't make a difference and make life better for other people, why are we here? 
And so I decided to get involved in politics and ran for office down in Evansville in Vandenberg County and ran for Vandenberg County Auditor, and I lost. And it was personally devastating, but you learn more from your losses than you do your wins. And I stayed involved and then eventually ran for that office again and won, served two terms, then became a county commissioner, and then became a state representative and was actually serving as vice chair of the House Ways and Means Committee and vice chair of Public Health Committee when then-Governor Pence asked if I would serve as auditor of state, which is the chief financial officer for the state of Indiana. Um, And I initially told him no because I was very happy doing what I was doing. But uh, I learned that it's difficult to tell governors no. And he told me to go home and think about it some more. And so really kind of funny story. I as I do with all big decisions that affect our family, I sat down with my husband. He's a attorney. He got out a yellow legal pad, drew a line down the center, and wrote pros on one side and cons on the other. And he did that when we first talked about getting married. So he's very obviously deliberate in how he approaches challenges and problems. But decided to do that because I thought it was an opportunity to serve Hoosiers in a different capacity. Uh, rather than serving them in one part of the state, I was able to serve Hoosiers throughout the state. And I believe that holding people's tax dollars accountable and being transparent with how we spend them is so terribly important because every dollar that comes to government has a name and a face attached to it. And so I was serving, I was appointed in January 2014, elected in November 2014, serving in that capacity when then the domino effect took place in 2016 in Indiana, and then Governor Pence became then-candidate Trump's running mate, and our Lieutenant Governor Eric Holcomb became the gubernatorial candidate, asked if I would run with him as Lieutenant Governor, and I saw it as an opportunity to really impact people even more. And so I said yes, and we had a 100-day campaign, and here we are today. Yeah, so life um, is a journey, and I always believe everything happens for a reason. So, you know, I also believe life's a gift, and you can use it up and wear it out, or you can put it on a shelf and let it gather dust, and I'm going to use mine up and wear it out. Which will lead me to a future question about what's next, but you can think about that one because, like you said, it's a journey and there might be a place you want to go after here. So I'm just curious what that might be. Um, So in your answer you just gave, you basically covered the entire mission of the Girl Scout organization. I heard you say courage. I heard you say confidence. I heard you say make a difference. And so thank you for all that you've done. Um, I think you're a role model to girls. We do our Girl Scout day here at the State House. You're always generous with your time. And I even have some little girls now who I hope you find this funny. Whenever you're on TV, she tells her mom, there's my friend Suzanne. Uh-huh. So um, yeah. you, you do make an absolute difference and a mark on the time you spend well, with Girl Scouts. Well, it's interesting that you say that because I do believe that being involved. I was a Girl Scout throughout grade school and high school. And I think that experience really helped Uh, developed my leadership. It gave me exposure to things that I wouldn't have been able to experience had it not been for Girl Scouts. And I I really credit the Girl Scouts with helping to develop me into the kind of person that I am today. So uh, thank you for taking that organization and and, uh, lifting up girls all over central Indiana. Thank you. So you, um, what was your major at Purdue? Political science. So that makes me wonder, because you did say you, you thought you'd go into the private sector. Was, is that a hint? I mean, did you choose poli-sci? How, you know, what was the connection? I, I, I wanted to be a political science major because I wanted to go to law school. That was originally, when I went to college, that's what my goal was. And, but you, you, I didn't come from money, so I had scholarships and grants and loans and worked all through college. And Uh, When I ended up graduating, I thought, I'm going to make some money, and then I'll go back to law school. But I never went back to law school. So talk about... My goal wasn't to get involved in politics. Sure. Okay. Talk about how the evolution... I would say, you know, growing up, we all thought college was the path. Maybe military was the path. But now students and young people have so many choices. And I think, in my opinion, having been an educator... 
our students have so many choices for career or college or military, and we're doing a better job. Talk about your role in workforce development and the pipeline and what you see in the future for our state in terms of retention of our best and our brightest, just that entire scope of how we can continue to have a really strong workforce in our state. Well, you know, what's interesting is Indiana has the seventh highest influx of college students to our state out of all 50 states. Uh, And it's because of the colleges and the universities and and the learning opportunities that we have here in Indiana. Uh, And so while we have that captive audience for four years, we need to do a better job of connecting them to Indiana, not just to our job opportunities, but to the quality of life and to the life experiences that we have here in Indiana. And tourism, an agency that I head up, I see as playing a role in that. Uh, Because while a lot of those students are coming here to be educated with every intention of leaving, there are some that are here and they don't know where they're going to go. So our ability to connect them to Indiana and allow them to experience what we have to offer. We've got jobs. I mean, we have 85,000 jobs that are unfilled here in Indiana currently, so we're going to have a job for them. We want to make them want to stay here. And it's so much of what Governor Holcomb's initiatives are about, particularly in workforce. But it's not just about college students. It's not just about those kids that come here to be educated or that come from Indiana and go to college. It would be great if every single child that graduates from high school has a career path and is prepared to go in any number of directions, whether that's college or whether that's an apprenticeship, whether that's the military, whether that's trade school. Every child that graduates from high school should be prepared for that next journey in life. And so that is what Governor Holcomb has been focused on here in Indiana, uh, the career and technical education, uh, uh, you know, agency department that has been created and then legislation that was passed to be able to really elevate that and give children a clear path uh, is really working in that direction. But it's also about a culture change. It's about changing the way students, the way parents, and the way our K-12 through education system approaches education and approaches that opportunity to succeed in life. You know, as long as you're prepared and as long as you have a job and you're happy, you can succeed at any aspect, regardless of the path you take. Very good. Thanks. Um, So one thing that you've championed um, is near and dear to my heart. One of my daughters has special needs. And I know um, I've read that you've received um, some recognition for your work in this space, and it's something you've cared about for much of your career. I'd like to know a little bit about how that evolved for you, and where do you see the greatest need? Um, you know, as, again, being a mother, it's not just having a workplace in the future. It's having a social connectivity. It's having transportation options. It's having viable housing. Um, and I think there's a lot of meaning our our, our people in Indiana can, with disabilities can have, um, and they can contribute. What do you see being the greatest thing we do well in Indiana, as well as areas for we continue could, could continue to do better? Oh, Indiana actually does is if you talk to providers um, and you look at other states, Indiana does a pretty good job, uh, but. That doesn't mean we can't do a better job, and it doesn't mean that we can't make the environment and the workplace more accessible and more affordable, you know, more convenient for those individuals with disabilities. Uh, Imagine Indiana if 80% of the people with disabilities here in our state were employed, because currently 80% of people with disabilities are unemployed. And so wouldn't it be wonderful if all those individuals who can add to our workforce and who can then, with a, with a job, they can build the life they want to build and live the dreams that they want to dream. And, and wouldn't that be wonderful to have them as a viable part of our workforce? So I, I got involved with individuals with intellectual and developmental disabilities when I was a county commissioner down in Vandenberg County. And I was appointed to serve on the Ark of Evansville board. And it was really 
the commitment and the devotion and the passion of those individuals that serve those, that population, that really, um, it really touched my heart. And I thought, you know, I want to do whatever I can to be able to support them as they're supporting that population, but to be able to ensure that everyone has that opportunity to succeed in life. We can't guarantee successful outcomes, but we can provide opportunities to succeed. And that's what we have been trying to do through the Intellectual and Developmental Disability Task Force that the General Assembly created. And then the session, past session, they extended the life of that task force through 2025. Uh, We have about 100,000 Hoosiers with an intellectual or developmental disability, and these are Hoosiers with cerebral palsy, Down syndrome, autism. And so being able to give them that opportunity in life to be successful is a passion of mine because I always say our friends with disabilities are just friends with different abilities. They have the same dreams as every other Hoosier. They want to have friends and have a job and love and be loved and be successful in life. And so through this task force, we have made 34 recommendations to the General Assembly on steps that can be taken in housing. You know, and you, you touched upon all the major areas in housing and in jobs and in transportation, you know, in quality of life and accessibility, how we can make life more accessible and more self-independent and give those individuals more options and more choices. And we continue to meet uh, on a semi-annual basis to ensure that that study that we did, those recommendations that we submitted to the General Assembly, aren't put on a shelf and collect dust. That we want to make sure that we hold the General Assembly and the task force accountable to make sure that those things happen. One of the, and one of the recommendations has been housing because it's very difficult for individuals with disabilities, particularly intellectual and developmental disabilities, to have that independence and to be able to live as self-sufficiently as possible. So one of the things that the housing, Indiana Housing and Community Development Authority Board is doing, and that's a board that I oversee, is we are doing two projects, developmental development projects, uh, for a total of about $18 million, doing affordable housing for individuals with intellectual and developmental disabilities, utilizing smart technology. And it is something that really we will be doing at a level that hasn't been done throughout the country, and we want to serve as a model to the rest of the nation on how you can utilize the technology that is there today to give these individuals more independence and allow them to be more self-sufficient in life. Because you're right, that's all they want. They want to contribute um, and be loved and give love and all those things you just said. So that's really good to hear. I think um, I'm particularly proud of some things in our state. I'm sure you've visited the Erskine Green Training Institute in Muncie. Mm -hmm. Um, For those listeners who may not know, it's um, a full working hotel and restaurant industry training facility. Because you mentioned the 80% of our disability adults or adults with special abilities who don't have jobs. And I think that's part of the, the challenge, right? How do you get them trained to work? And this facility was built to do just that while they live train. Um, So I hope that continues to be another model elsewhere. I actually heard there might be a hint somewhere. Down in, yes, the Evansville area. I I know. And and that um, Erskine Green Institute is um, put on and run by ARC of Indiana. And they have approached Toyota down in Princeton, Indiana, down southwest Indiana, about having a similar type program. And so I know that that is being worked on and developed. And we're very hopeful that that We'll also give um, our Hoosiers in another part of the state the same opportunities. Yeah, it's definitely some things to be proud of. I mean, so many, but those are just some that particularly touch the the disability space. And and someone, when we did this, uh, when the Disability Task Force met and kind of assessed all of our services in 2017, uh, or 2018, uh, and looked at where we are and where we've been and recommendations on where we need to go. That was the first time in 20 years that that kind of an assessment had been done. And someone pointed out to me, you know, 
it's a lot harder to go from good to great than it is to go from bad to good. And so Indiana's good. We're trying to be great. And, you know, it, it just becomes more challenging, but we certainly are up for the challenge. Absolutely. Good to hear. So let's switch gears a little bit, maybe something, I don't know, a little lighter. State Fair. Um, I know you just came from there today and we're in the... Well, I don't think everybody that goes State Fair is going to come back lighter. <laughs> I agree. I had my sh- some food on a stick the other day myself. Um, but by the time this airs, the State Fair will have ended, and you'll have probably spent a number of hours as well as steps there. Tell us a little bit about why your presence, what the State Fair means to our state, why we continue to invest and um, you know upgrade our facilities at the State Fair, most recently the Swine Barn, getting a new name and a new face. Um, those are all exciting things. So what, what does the State Fair mean to Indiana and to you and, and, and to, to Hoosiers? Well, you know, as lieutenant governor, I have probably more duties and responsibilities than most lieutenant governors throughout the country. In, in most instances, in most states, uh, the lieutenant governor serves if the governor is incapacitated, which is the case in Indiana. But in Indiana, I have so many statutory and constitutional duties. Constitutionally, I'm president of the Senate. Statutorily, I'm Secretary of Agriculture and Rural Development. I also head up tourism. I head up our Indiana Housing Community Development Authority. And I head up the Indiana Office of Community and Rural Affairs. In addition to that, a number of initiatives on behalf of the governor. But that shouldn't surprise us in Indiana because we're so fiscally conservative. If we're going to give you a job and pay you money, we're going to tell you what to do, right? We aren't just going to say, you know, do what you want. Uh, And so as Secretary of Agriculture and Rural Development, this is probably the 17 most favorite days of the year for me because the state fair is going on, and it represents all that is good about Indiana. You know, when I am out at the state fair and I get to interact with people in agriculture, they represent the values that make us Hoosiers, you know, our pioneering spirit that's in our DNA. I mean, we're always looking to tomorrow for that brighter horizon. And and so, you know, that is what agriculture, that is what farmers are about. They're about feeding people. They're about taking care of people. They're about leaving the land better than where they what they found it. Uh, and so to me, agriculture and the state fair is the best that Indiana has to offer. I mean, it is, um, it's a celebration of who we are as Hoosiers. Uh, heartland of the heroes. I mean, we are honoring so many Hoosier heroes that, you know, make Indiana what Indiana is, whether it's our first responders, whether it's our farmers, whether it's our, you know, our firemen, our policemen, you know, Hoosiers, you know, it's interesting because I say we were humble Hoosiers. You know, we we put our nose to the grindstone, we work hard, we do what's right, and then we go on and do the next job. And we don't ever pat ourselves on the back. We never toot our horn. And we have such an incredible story to tell, but we just aren't very intentional about telling it. The State Fair does a great job about telling how important agriculture is here in Indiana. Uh, it contributes $31 billion to our state's economy. We have 57,000 farming families. 83% of Indiana is either agriculture, farms, woodland, or forest. I mean, we are a state that really understands that we come from the land. It is the, the heartland. The of it at the state fair, all of it. That's right. And sometimes they deep fry it. Yes, that's right, too. <laughs> I just, in fact, I just came from the dairy barn, uh, worked at the dairy barn today. And, you know, did that, you get to do the part where they came to your window and then I their did, order was yes, free? The celebrity scooper. Yeah. Yes. I've been in that role. And what a great treat that is to say to the person. I don't know if you gentlemen have experienced this, but you need to watch for around the window. It'll say guest scooper. And if you order from that window at the end, that person will tell you that your order is free. And since this is airing after the state fair, I hope I'm not giving away a secret. Um, no, but but we also ask for donations to the you know Great American Dairy Dairy yeah. yeah project to be able to provide milk to our food pantries. Yeah, no, it's a great it's a great opportunity and a great it cause. Is. So, what is your favorite state fair food? Oh, gosh, you know, I don't know. Um, I like cheese. So anything cheese or dairy, I love. But then to the pork producers, I love the pork and I love the beef and I love the corn and I love the soy. I love it all. 
Good thing you walk and not golf cart. <laughs> yeah, that's why I said when you said the light, a lighter subject, the state fair, people aren't, um, truly aren't always lighter when they leave. Right. So, Robert, how about yourself? Let you have some questions here today. No, what's your on favorite your show, food? Your I want to know what your favorite food is at the state fair. The milkshake? I would have to say that it would probably be the South Bend chocolate booth. Uh-oh. You got a sweet tooth? Exhibit hall. That's pretty tough to uh, give up for sure. Um, the the fair is one of those things that that... I've never seen an argument at the Indiana State Fair. And so at a time when people may seem to be a bit fractured, what's it like to be at the fair and see so many people having such a good time? What's it like to feel good about being somewhere and, and feel safe and feel wholesome, you know, and, and see people enjoying and celebrating life? It's great, you know, but that's... That's who we are as Hoosiers. I mean, that's what I, I, the State Fair to me speaks to who we are as Hoosiers and to what our state is. It speaks to our values, you know, of hard work and, and trust and, you know, faith and hope and all those things. I, farmers are so much more than farmers. I mean, they're businessmen, you know, they're businesswomen, they're, you know, they're people that have to know more than just about farming. They have to know about technology. And agriculture is more than just farms. I mean, it's ag bioscience. It's, you know, agribusiness. Uh, we actually, the lieutenant governor's office, sponsors a diversity in ag day coming up this coming week. Um, and I, what we want to do, we initiated it last year, and it was so successful that we've doubled the amount of students that we have coming this year, but it's bringing in students of diversity, whatever that diversity is. It might be a disability. It might be, you know, uh, your your ethnicity. It might be your color. It might who whatever that diversity is. We are bringing those students to the state fair to expose them to agriculture and to experience what agriculture has to offer, because a lot of them will be children from the inner city and from urban areas. And so when they hear agriculture, they think farms and they think farming, and they don't understand necessarily that it's so much more than that, that they can be into technology and computers and drones and, you know, uh, science and medicine, and they can they can have a part in agriculture in any of those disciplines. And so we allow them to enjoy the food and enjoy the experience, but also to expose them to all that agriculture has to offer. One of my clients is Indianapolis Public Schools, and they have a very <clears throat> vigorous and growing urban farm uh, program within really? their schools. I'm happy to make that connection. I would love it. For you. They do a terrific job. Uh, let me thank my sponsors real quick, Girl Scouts of Central Indiana, the Crown Plaza Union Station, and, of course, McAllister Machinery, your friendly neighborhood Caterpillar dealer. You are part of an exclusive club. There are four of you. Kathy Davis, Becky Skillman, Sue Elsperman, and yourself. Uh, we asked this question of president of Ivy Tech, former Lieutenant Governor Sue Elsperman, when she came on. Do you feel a kinship with them? Do you stay in touch with them? Do you talk from time to time? I mean, there's, it's hopefully a going to be a burgeoning club without a ceiling, but it's something special that only four of you have experienced. And what's that like? Uh, yes, absolutely. I stay in touch with all of them. Um, see them uh, from time to time, call them for advice or for questions uh, regarding, you know, experiences or subjects or topics that maybe I don't have the history on. Um, and so being a woman and being able to share the same kind of life experiences as lieutenant governor is very valuable and very helpful. I'm glad I wasn't the first one. So I have the benefit I have the benefit of the experience of three other wonderful lieutenant governors. And so it's important. Uh, and, but it's important that women support women and that women raise 
other women up. And I think that that is what each of these lieutenant governors have done. Uh, and I think that just, um, that just benefits our state as a whole. Did you know former Lieutenant Governor Elsperman before public I, office? You both went to Purdue. You both served, mm-hmm. I shouldn't have said public office, Lieutenant Governor's office. You both served in the General Assembly. Have you known her very long or is it more recent? Do you know, I met um, Sue Elsperman when I was a state rep and she was teaching or a professor at University of Southern Indiana. But so shortly before she ran, maybe a couple of years before she ran for office. Uh, but I didn't know her as a child growing up. But there was interesting kind of parallel track there for a while, mm-hmm. both in school and chosen profession. And I was her mentor when she was in the House of Representatives. Really? Mm-hmm. But you did I didn't good, mentor well, you did a, you did did a, a really good job. job. After one year, she went on to become <laughs> lieutenant governor. So, <laughs> Can you mentor me? Did You mentioned something earlier, and that was the 100-day campaign. And it was a bit of a whirlwind experience in the late summer and fall of 2016. As someone who had run for office many times, and of course your running mate was... Eric Holcomb, who is probably the most well-traveled person around Indiana ever. He's been to multiple counties so many times. I actually joked to him and Pete Seat that they ought to have a dining guide for the state of Indiana because they've eaten everywhere multiple times. Pete subsequently said, we've discussed that idea already, which makes sense. What was that 100-day campaign like? Because simply there is no precedent for it in modern Indiana history. You know, it was it was great, actually. I mean, it was what was so fun about it was you didn't have time to overthink anything. You didn't have time to think about anything. I remember seeing the proof of our first campaign flyer that was going to go out, and I didn't like my picture. Well, guess what? It didn't matter. There was no time to do a do-over. And so you just came to accept that. You just did. I mean, you just did. And it was kind of nice to not overthink everything and not, you know, have the time to agonize over every decision. You just had to go with it and, you know, hope that it, everything turned out favorably. Uh, so I, I thought it was having all the different campaign experiences that I've had, uh, and most of them are year-long campaigns, you know, from the time you decide you're going to run to the time you run, and of course, as a state rep, you're running every two years. It was re- for me. It was refreshing to be able to just not have to overthink. Just go do. Did the truncated timeline give you pause? Like, eh, I got a pretty good gig here at the state auditor's office. No, no. I, I'm such a believer. Things happen for a reason. What's meant to be is meant to be. You know, if something's meant to happen, it'll happen. If not, something else will happen. You mentioned earlier your height. I believe you're 5'11". Mm, yeah, well, maybe I've shrunk a little. Right. <laughs> is the fact that your running mate is six foot seven? did that play a part in your decision? Like, I'm not going to tell over this guy? You know, it, I've always thought I was as tall as my husband, and he's 6'6". So I guess I, <laughs> I'm just like our little Yorkie was, you know. They're little, they're little but they think they're big. So, um, but... You know, I I remember being asked uh, when we made the announcement over at the state party headquarters that, you know, the governor, the guy got selected by the state party and we were there together and the media asked what difference differentiates you all from, you know, your opponents. And I said, well, we're taller. (laughs) And I think someone told me we were the tallest uh, candidates, gubernatorial lieutenant governor candidates, uh, that's election cycle. So I don't know. Uh, I don't know if that contributed to our success <laughs> or not. But <laughs> Last question before I turn it back over to Danielle. I've told people before, if you want to get on the good side of former Indianapolis mayor, Greg Ballard, my former boss, talk about his staff, compliment the people who works and who worked for him, who worked for him, um, you are known, quite frankly, for having a terrific staff. I'm partial to Erin Sheridan because I've known her for so long and I know how amazing and how loyal she is. But uh, Jody Golden, uh, 
I think Danielle Chrysler is gone for a while. She's serving our country. In right. LeBron. And even the young, energetic, and very bright John Rader, who's about 20 feet behind me. Well, and then you've got Tracy Barnes. And I wanted to tell you, talk a little bit about your staff and talk about how they help people because they really do interact so often with people and help solve people's problems. And that's how you get things done. You know, uh, to me, it's so important. And when I look to um, bring people on our staff, to me, they have to have a public servant's heart. You really have to want to help people and you have to want, you have to understand that your role is to help people. I mean, government is so complicated, it's so bureaucratic that the public really oftentimes not only feels alienated from government, but they're afraid of it. They don't even know where to go to get their problems solved. They don't want to come downtown. They don't want to come downtown to deal with Indianapolis parking or anything. And they don't want to have anything to do with government. And so to me, they have to have good people in government if they're going to be able to benefit. You know, if they're going to get their problems solved, they have to have good people in government. So I always look for people with a true public servant's heart, you know, someone who understands that we're here to help people. Uh, And I've been blessed that the people that, whether it's Tracy Barnes, my chief of staff, or Aaron Sheridan, my deputy chief of staff, or Jake Seip, who heads up housing, or Misty Weisensteiner, who heads up tourism, or Jody Golden, who heads up our... You know, okra, uh, regardless of the, uh, Bruce Kettler, who heads up ISDA, um, Indiana State Department of Agriculture, they all have true public servant hearts. And they really want to help people make a difference. And so that to me is the, well, John Rader too, of course. (laughs) (laughs) You know, he's been with me from the beginning. So, uh, and when you have parents like John Rader, you're going to be a servant of some kind. Yeah, you certainly are. You certainly are. So that is extremely important because we're here to help people. We're here to take care of people. We're here to help them figure out how they can get answers to the problems that they have. Danielle, we've got a few minutes before the five questions. Go ahead. Okay. So you've mentioned quite a few initiatives, programs, maybe agencies, things you're proud of. Are there some things that are going on right now that you're also particularly proud of that we didn't touch upon? I know maybe something in the veterans or housing or um, broadband. Is there any one of those you want to touch on? Because there's some pretty exciting changes. Um, Well, yeah. I mean, one of the things that um, Governor Holcomb and I have been very, very much interested in seeing as a priority is our broadband initiative. It was part of our legislative administrative policy last year, and it is why the governor has committed $100 million to expand broadband to our unserved areas. Because Purdue University last fall came out with the study that said there were almost 500,000 Hoosiers that are in internet darkness. If they were all connected, it would result in an additional $1 billion to our state's economy every year. So with this investment, we want to ensure that Hoosiers in rural areas have equal access to technology in order to create growth and to have quality of life. And so the first round of uh, grants that are going to be awarded will be actually announced tomorrow, day after this you know, podcast, but uh, it's a first step you know, in being sure that we can connect those Hoosiers and we can keep those kids on the farm and we can allow those small communities who make up so much of Indiana be able to have growth and and provide opportunities, not to the people who are living there, but to the young people they want to attract there. So that is an extremely important initiative that I had up. I also had up our Next Level Veterans Initiative. There are 200,000 men and women who leave the military every year. And half of them will face a period of unemployment. So we are working through that initiative to attract them to Indiana, match them up with employers so that they can call Indiana home and we can welcome them into our workforce. But in addition to that, I also, and I believe you're going to be helping and serving on the Women's Centennial Suffrage Commission. Very excited. Which we will have a meeting later this month, and we are going to celebrate uh, women's right to vote next year in the year 2020 through that commission. We're going to celebrate the many women and the men 
who gave us the right to vote because we can't ever forget that it was men in men male-controlled legislatures all over the country that voted and men in Congress who voted to give women the right to vote. So I am really excited about that initiative. And, and in conjunction with that, I'm heading up the census initiative here in Indiana. We want to make every Hoosier count, but we want to make every woman count because so much of our funding in Indiana Federal funding is tied to our population. Uh, and so whether it's women's health issues that we want to get more federal money for and we need to make sure we count every woman, or whether it's other initiatives that depend on federal funds, we really, really want to make an effort to make sure that everybody in Indiana is counted next year. How can, so assuming we have thousands and thousands and thousands of podcast listeners, tell them how they can make sure that they do their due diligence with the census. What does that look like? Well, it's going to look, um, well, we're going to announce what it's going to look like pretty soon because <laughs> we've got a first meeting on that coming up also this month. So Very good. So you touched upon just for a moment kind of um, one, two things. One, the uh, centennial and the, the women's right, but also the men and the men that it took to actually get us to that place. But I do have to ask, women governor in Indiana someday? I, uh, absolutely. <laughs> As a Girl Scout, you know, my girls are expecting me to make sure that that's somewhere in their potential path, and I absolutely think it is. As, absolutely. Yeah. And hopefully she'll have been a Girl Scout. We're pretty confident that will be the case as well. So talk to me just a little bit about... Um, where you do, what goals do you have for the future, um, either in this office, next opportunities for yourself, for Hoosiers? What, um, what are you most looking forward to in the next three, five, ten years? Well, first of all, we want to get through 2020 election. Um, I very much um, am honored to be a partner with Governor Holcomb. He is just a tremendous leader and um, just the, the kind of individual that's really taking Indiana to the next level. And I think he is the right governor for the right time. Uh, and I want to be supportive and be a good running partner and a good, a good serving mate. Uh, but, you know, I know that Governor Holcomb has every confidence that, you know, as lieutenant governor, we have to step in uh, if, if needed. And so, you know, there is always that confidence that comes from that, that, knows that there can be a future out there. But right now I'm focused and uh, we both are focused on 2020, making sure that the Holcomb Crouch team gets elected and we're able to continue the good work that we've started on behalf of Hoosiers and, and take Indiana to that next level. I hope you like your picture better on the postcard this time. Yeah. <laughs> you have a little more time to prepare. I so <laughs> okay, Robert. You mentioned earlier a city, and the show is called Leaders and Legends, and I want to ask you a quick question about a particular leader before we move on to the five questions, and that is Lloyd Winnicky, the mayor of Evansville. That city and that area seems to have expanded and, and exploded and, quite frankly, grown in leaps and bounds of success since he became mayor. Talk a little bit about, please, how well you know him and what do you think about Evansville these days? Oh, well, I know Lloyd and his wife, Carol, um, very, very well. Um, you know, we actually, you don't know them socially, but um, also served with him in local government. He was on the county camp also and then was a county commissioner uh, when I was also serving in local government and then as a state representative. Uh, so I have tremendous respect for Mayor Winnicky. Uh, I think his leadership uh, is it, like, just like the governor is the right person at the right time for Indiana, Lloyd Winnicky is the right person at the right time for Evansville. And I think the stage got set for Evansville with I-69. You know, at the time I was a county commissioner and then became a state representative, was actually co-author of the Major Moves legislation. And I remember the comment being made at one of the hearings, in-dot hearings, that this is going to be the economic engine for Southwest Indiana. And it truly has been. So I-69 kind of set the stage 
for Evansville and for Washington and for all the area down there. But you got to have the right leader to be able to capitalize on that and to really take that to the next level. And that's what Lloyd Winnicky has done. But I will tell you also what Evansville is so good at, and, and I see this throughout Indiana, so good at collaborating. You know, people coming together and working together on initiatives, whether it's the Stone Family Health Center down there, which, you know, started out as the IU School of Medicine and then kind of morphed into the Stone Family Center Health Center. Uh, An incredible initiative, unlike any other model in the country, where you have a private university, University of Evansville. You have a state school, the University of Southern Indiana. You have University, IU School of Medicine and IU School of Dentistry all came together in a consortium to form this medical center and create this medical center where they all have a part, they share common area, they share teachers, and it's the model for health education for the future. You know, that doesn't happen everywhere, you know. So you have the right leadership, You've got the foundation, you've got the right leadership, and then you've got people that will collaborate and work together. But I see this all throughout Indiana. And when I travel the country, people will comment time and time again on how well state agencies and how well people collaborate in Indiana. And I think it's our strength. You know, we form partnerships, we work together, and we value those relationships. And Mayor Winicky has done an incredible job at doing all that. That's one of the themes, quite frankly, of this podcast. And a lot of the guests, they've discussed that, whether it was former Deputy Mayor uh, David Frick or an upcoming podcast we will have with uh, Jim Morris. The list goes on and on where people came together, solved a particular problem, didn't look for political gain or political points. And the result is what you have, Indianapolis 2019, as opposed to Indianapolis 1969, and what a difference it's made. Uh, Is there a particular Hoosier legend you admire? Well, you know, there are so many. I mean, start with our governor who, you know, you know, had never won an office and became governor and ran an incredible campaign and became governor and now has turned into just a, a incredible leader. And people will say, you know, he was really a pleasant surprise. They really, you know. That just sup- means they didn't know him. Exactly. But I mean, he is truly um, a legend in that regard because he's, you know, established himself and he is, people are now getting to People are now getting to experience the kind of leadership he's always had. Uh, Mitch Daniels, I mean, Mitch Daniels, he was one of those uh, individuals that, you know, he could could, um, motivate you to do things that, you know, weren't always comfortable to do. And I think that's truly a great leader. Uh, toll those, road deal was not a slam dunk. When I was comms director at the Indiana Republican Party, when it came through, we got beat up left and right on that. And then look what it's meant for the state. That's absolutely right. So leadership's not about making easy decisions. Leadership's about getting people to make those tough decisions that are the right things to do for the future. And I remember Mitch Daniels when I was in the General Assembly and we took all these votes that were so painful. Uh, but he said, we've got to do this because when this country comes out of a recession, Indiana will be poised to lead the pack. And that's exactly what has happened. It's because of all those tough votes we took and all the cuts that we made and the downsizing of government that, you know, Indiana was able to weather the recession and come out much stronger than other states. And so Certainly while, fiscally, for oh, sure. And while we're, we've got balanced budgets and we've cut tax increases 15 times in the past 15 years and we have a surplus which guarantees our AAA credit rating which saves Hoosiers tax payers money other states are struggling so you know the there are many legends you know there were are you many. particularly thrilled when Mitch Daniels became president of your alma mater did no. you think it was a real coup for Purdue to have him well, yeah, 
(laughs) (laughs) Boiler up. (laughs) You are listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast presented by Veteran Strategies, sponsored by Girl Scouts of Central Indiana, the Crown Plaza at Union Station, and McAllister Machinery, your friendly neighborhood Caterpillar dealer. We always end this podcast with the same five questions. Danielle, do you want to give it a shot? Oh, my gosh. I'll try to remember some. Oh, you don't need to remember it. I'll just hand you the paper. All right. What was your first job? Uh, Well, I babysat. But my first kind of real job, I worked in a nursing home uh, my senior year in high school and then all throughout college on summers and, um, and on holidays. And it was probably the best job I had because I was beginning my journey in life and being able to experience other people's end of their journey really put life in perspective for me. Great. What was your first concert? My first concert? I don't know if I can remember that far back. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I went to the Rolling Stones back years ago. Um, Jethro Tall, I mean, I don't know. Beach Boys. Stop right there. David Crosby, I mean, Crosby, Stills, and Nash. I, I, I can't remember which the first one was. Very good. If you could suggest any book for someone else to read, what book would that be? Any book for someone else to read. Um, do you know, I'm reading the Harry Potter books for the first time, and I'm really enjoying them. There's a lot of life lessons in there that I, I never did read them because uh, I just thought it was just kind of um, fantasy. But uh, my daughter is a big Harry Potter fan, so she has talked me into reading them, and I'm on my third book, and I, I'm really enjoying them. Very good. There's a recent book just um, published by a Girl Scout who is in middle school. I'm going to send you a copy. Oh, wonderful. It's actually her story. It's called Raise Your Hand, and it's teaching other girls to raise their hand even when it's not comfortable. And so figuratively, raise your hand, but also literally, don't be afraid to raise your hand. You're going to give the wrong answer sometimes, but to your point earlier, sometimes those are the best mistakes. You mm-hmm. learn through them. So I'd love to get you a copy, and you can recommend that in the it. future. Absolutely. Last question. Oh, no, I'm sorry. There's two. If you could witness any event in history, be there in person as it happened, what event would you choose? Do you know, I think right now, at this point in time in my life, it would probably be the um, passage of the woman's right to vote. Very good. Very timely. Mm-hmm. If you could have dinner with anyone living today, two hours off the record just to chat, whom would you choose? Pope Francis. Okay. Very good. First time I've ever been a Pope Francis answer? We're a Catholic show, you know. You are? Well, I'm Catholic, so it makes us a Catholic <laughs> <I'm>... show. <laughs> Thank you, Lieutenant Governor, very, very much for your time. You're very gracious. I, and I can say, uh, since I don't have a contract with this office and I don't work for this office and have no skin in the game except friendship and admiration that people are talking about what an amazing job you do and how absolutely incredible and what terrific public servants your staff is every day. And we cannot thank you enough, not only for coming on Leaders and Legends today, but also for your support of the Girl Scouts. We're very grateful. Well, thank you. Once a Girl Scout, always a Girl Scout. Thank you very much for listening to Leaders and Legends, brought to you by Veteran Strategies Incorporated. If you want to contact us about this program or our menu of public relations services, please send us an email at robert at veteranstrategies.com. That's robert at veteranstrategies.com. Thank you.